to Theology Matters. This is Dr. John Clark. And today we want to continue a study that we have begun on false gospel response cliches. And we've been considering the false gospel response cliche of asking God for forgiveness. And again, we've we've covered this before, but you know, many people say, well, what's wrong with that? You know, that sounds like a, an okay thing to do. And one of the things that we looked at first was um, scripturally, what does it take uh, from the Bible? What does it take for an unbeliever to receive forgiveness of sins? And we looked at two passages in Acts 10, uh, verse 43, and also Acts 13, verses 38 through 39, that said the only thing that an unbeliever needed to, to do to be saved and receive forgiveness of sins is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for their sins and rose again. And then we also considered, well, what about a believer? What if somewhat about somebody who's already born into the family? Um, they commit a sin and they're knocked out of fellowship with the Lord. Should they ask for forgiveness of sins? And again, we looked at the scriptures in First John 1, 9, and we found that confession of sin is the encouragement or exhortation for the believer who has sinned and fallen out of fellowship with the Lord. And we see through the Lord's character and also his, his justice uh, he's, he's both faithful and just that he will restore and provide family or fellowship forgiveness when the believer sins, not when they ask for it, uh, not when they ask for forgiveness, but when they simply confess their sins, God is faithful to forgive them. And so we kind of considered that in previous sessions. The other thing we looked at is just the very nature of the word ask versus the word believe. And how those two words are not synonymous, and nor would they be synonymous in any other setting um, except in churches from time to time, which believe that they teach the same thing. But we looked really closely at the word ask, saying that when you ask someone for something, it implies that the answer is in doubt. It could be yes or it could be no. But when you believe in someone, it implies that we are trusting in a known outcome. Again, asking implies an unknown outcome. Believing or trusting in something implies a known outcome. We're, we're trusting or relying upon something. We're not um, necessarily hoping in the sense of maybe so or maybe not that it will happen. We also looked at the concept of forgiveness as a judicial and forensic concept, meaning that God is holy and just. There, he has created a holy law, and every time somebody breaks the law, they are worthy of the penalty for breaking the law. And we learn from the scriptures that the wages of sin is death. And so, if the wages of sin is death, the penalty for sin is death. And in order to receive forgiveness of sins, somebody has to pay that penalty, somebody has to pay the wages of that sin penalty. Um, in order for us to receive forgiveness and, and praise God through the gospel and the work that Jesus accomplished, we receive forgiveness of sins because he died in our place as our substitute. And so many people will then say, well, what about Matthew 6, 12? And so let's go to Matthew 6, 12 and consider whether or not that this teaches that you must ask for forgiveness uh, for judicial or forensic uh, uh, forgiveness. And so Matthew 6, 12, it says this, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so we find this verse right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. 
And a couple of quick observations here as we consider this passage before we kind of dive into the verses. And that's this. Notice how many times the word father is used here in the first 15 verses of Matthew chapter 6. If you count through it, you're going to see that the word father is used seven times here. What that gives us an indicator is that Jesus is speaking to people who are already God's children. In other words, people who are already saved. Luke 11 confirms this in recording the same event. Uh, They actually, in Luke, it records that his disciples actually prompted this discussion by asking him a question um, to teach them how to pray. And so Jesus is talking here to people who are already God's children, his disciples. And notice that also that Jesus includes the, the pronoun your, the possessive pronoun your, with father six of the seven times that it's used here in the first 15 verses. And then in the seventh time, he includes the pronoun our with father. And that's identifying Jesus with his disciples here as their father, our father. And so again, it just gives us another indicator that he's speaking to people who who are saved. Um, Also, when we come to the context of Matthew 6, our, our passage is is located in a section of Matthew that is in anticipation of the kingdom of God on earth, this kingdom that was promised in the Old Testament. We get that flavor in verse 10 when he says, your kingdom come. This is, this is an appropriate prayer, especially for that generation who is being offered the kingdom. In fact, we see that earlier in Matthew in verse 3, 2, and 4, 17, that the kingdom is actually described as being at hand. Matthew 3, 2 says, um, this is John the Baptist preaching, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this is the context of what we read in Matthew chapter 6. It's a context of uh, this anticipation of the coming kingdom on earth, which had been promised in the Old Testament, which was now being offered directly to the nation by Jesus Christ. Also, we see that this passage is found in the middle of what's become known as a Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And specifically, it's in a section from about Matthew 5, 17 to 7, 12. There's a section within that sermon that is describing what true righteousness looks like to the Lord. And what we see, the the overarching theme is that it's not just an external going through the motions, but also proper heart attitudes and motivations. That's why before the Lord's Prayer in verse 5 of chapter 6, it says, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, and that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And so you see, it's not just an external going through the motions, but also a proper heart attitude and motivation that the Lord is interested in. And so knowing this, knowing this context build up, the overall heart and main point of the prayer is this, don't pray to be seen or thought well of thought well of by others, but pray in such a way that you are actually concerned about what God is concerned about. And at this point in history, he's concerned about his program and plan, specifically the kingdom here, and also maintaining fellowship with the Lord through this internal 
relationship with him, desiring the right things, desiring the things that the Lord uh, desires. And so in Matthew 6, 12, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And now notice that that the Lord puts a specific request of the Father, but it's got a contingency attached to it. In fact, that contingency comes out more clearly in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6. It says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so, the request is forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses. And the contingency is as we forgive our debtors. And this concept is repeated a couple of times in the Gospels. In fact, in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, we have the parable of the, the unjust or the unforgiving servant. The same kind of concept is communicated there in Mark 11, verses 25 through 26, as well as Luke six thirty-seven. And so now we see in this passage that our forgiveness or the disciples' forgiveness specifically here as we look for the interpretation is contingent upon their forgiveness of others. And so Jesus states it even more emphatically in verses 14 and 15. But notice that even though this forgiveness has a contingency attached to it, that Jesus never stops calling God their father. In fact, notice that again in verses 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, that makes sense that he includes it there. But verse 15, if he was talking about a lack of judicial forensic forgiveness or forgiveness for your sins for salvation, I think he would have pulled back that pronoun. And in verse 15, it would have read, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will the Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. But it doesn't say that. It says, neither will your Father forgive you. And so I think those are those are key observations to let us know that this passage is speaking of relational or family forgiveness here for fellowship and not forensic or judicial forgiveness for birth into the family. That's very, very key. In fact, hold your finger there and we're going to flip back to 1 John just to compare two passages in 1 John that help us understand this concept. And that's 1 John 1, 9, which we've read, but it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, who is the we that John is talking about there? He's talking about believers. He's including himself in that statement. And then he says in verse 10, but if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not saved. It just means we're out of fellowship with him and we're calling God a liar if we say that we have not sinned. And then he provides this encouragement in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins, but also for the whole world. And so the encouragement there is not to hide your sins or try to cover them up or try to be something that you're not, but that when you recognize sin in your life as a believer, that you'll confess your sins. Um, and then notice the contrast even between 1 John 1, 9, which indicates this ongoing relational family forgiveness of sins, and then the contrast in 1 John 2, 12 of the finality of the forensic or judicial forgiveness of sins that comes the moment we put our faith 
in the finished work of Christ. First John 2.12 says this, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. And so we've got both of those contained, both of those concepts, judicial forgiveness, which happens at a moment in time when we put our faith in Jesus Christ because his death paid the full penalty, excuse me, for all of our sins. And then in 1 John 1, 9, what does the believer do with the sins that continue to happen in their life? Well, the, the penalty has been fully paid already, but now it's an issue of fellowship. How can we be restored to fellowship? And that comes through confession. And so you see this, this concept of family or relational forgiveness, which is what I believe is being reflected in Matthew 6 with all of the family tor- terms, your father, our father, this conditional forgiveness based on um, ongoing forgiveness of others. And so how does this fit with other New Testament teaching? Well, in Ephesians 4.32, we're told, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so that's an encouragement or an exhortation, a teaching by the word of God that we're to forgive others. And so how did Christ forgive us? Well, it was completely on the basis of grace. We didn't deserve forgiveness. And yet he extended it to us anyways, because of what he accomplished in in regards to the judicial payment of our sins on the cross. And so when we don't forgive others, we're actually disobeying the Lord and we're out of the Father's will. And thus we're out of fellowship with the Lord. And that's why our sins in this case will not be forgiven, as he mentions in Matthew chapter six. It's not judicial or forensic forgiveness. That's based on the finished work of Christ. We're talking about family or fellowship forgiveness that's contingent upon us confessing our sins, recognizing when we've sinned against God. And in this case, the sin uh, that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6 and other places in the gospel, as I mentioned, is the sin of unforgiveness of another brother. And when we remain in 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 a heart of unforgiveness toward a brother, It indicates that we're out of fellowship with the Lord and we cannot experience that family or fellowship forgiveness that comes through confession of sin, naming it as sin the same way God does. And so that concludes our study on asking for forgiveness and why we believe that's not a biblical concept or response to the gospel. 